pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. When I was younger, I used to really suffer from secondhand embarrassment. And I think I brought this up when we talked about The Office, but uh, cringe humor was really tough for me when I was younger because I, I would just feel so embarrassed for people in a movie and a TV show. There was no way I could watch something that relied on cringe humor. But now, now I'm all about it, and I've really dived deep into that. Uh, but... Sometimes watching those sort of shows and uh, makes me think of my own sort of cringeworthy moments, right? Maybe that's why ultimately I used to avoid them. But uh, if anything, maybe these this sort of content alleves that embarrassment. Because okay, so the show we're talking about today is Curb Your Enthusiasm. And quite often on this show, there's multiple misunderstandings that lead to sticky situations. And I just thought it'd be fun maybe if we shared a moment like that too. Uh, for, like, for example, uh, I, I had a moment when um, years ago, I used to work at the Rachel Ratio as a production assistant. And I had this really, um, there was a misunderstanding basically where someone from one of the green rooms had asked where the bathroom was. And the, the private room was occupado. And I thought this guy was asking for himself. So I decided to just show him where like the more public restroom was that the crew and even audience members use. So I, I'm like, follow me. I turn around and I walk to this ba uh, this bathroom. I turn around and I see Cameron Diaz about to go into a public restroom. And shortly after that, I got chewed out by the talent executive. I don't know who's in that bathroom with her. Uh, again, just simple misunderstanding that was caused by a series of events. I can laugh about it now, but surely at the time, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, a bit mortified. Oh, wow. My, see, mine, I sound like this is the one I'm embarrassed by, but I also kind of take a Larry David approach to it. Oh, God, I feel I'm even like I think I'm cringing even about uh, it. It was in college and, you know, I was hanging out with my my guy friends and I, you know, it went into like, uh, you know, mother, fuck your mother type talk. And, you know, everyone is throwing it. It kind of went into just like who could say the best joke with it, like your mom type stuff. And I didn't get the memo, but the guy who I said your mom stuff to, I didn't know his mom died. Oh, my gosh. And, but I, you know, of course I was embarrassed. I apologized. But I, I did pull my friend aside. I'm like, you, no one, like, he should not have been a part of that conversation. Wow. Like, that he, is very much something that could happen on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm like, Man. he should not have been a part of this conversation. He, I tried to, in some way, like, of course I felt embarrassed. And I said, dude, I'm so sorry. But on the other side of the conversation is, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't know you that well. I didn't know. No one gave me the memo. What are right. you doing in this conversation? I'm not saying it's your fault, but <laughs> well, it's kind of like I, I wouldn't think it's your fault either. That again, it's like just it's a, a miscommunication or it's just misunderstanding, like you said. It's an unfortunate situation, and that's the sort of thing that happens on the show we're talking about today. Curb enthusiasm. It happens all the time, but. Uh, taken to greater lengths right i mean a lot of things that happen on the show are the kind of things that could only happen to larry david of all people uh when you watch it um certainly like i said a lot of cringeworthy moments embarrassing moments faux pas that is the show's bread and butter and it's interesting to see when i don't know it's like an observance of what happens if you break a certain social rule or which social rules did you stand up for more Right. Because sometimes true, yeah. some some rules, Larry David will try to abolish uh, and other times he'll really try to be more of a stickler for it. It depends. And I, I don't know. I mean, are there certain social rules that you think 
you've like had enough of like you know uh when it comes to like parties or just certain like social conventions Ooh, uh, like the stuff that I'll agree with Larry David for, for uh, with is never go into someone's kitchen and just grab something from yeah the refrigerator. I like there's there are times in this show where Larry's in the wrong, and then there are times where I'm like I totally agree with you. You don't call after nine p.m. unless it's an emergency, right? right. But it's kind of it's kind of funny that if someone were to commit these faux pas on either side, people go. It's so ingrained, like Seinfeld. A lot of curb lexicons are just ingrained in us, like the pickle gambit. If like I, oh, I like oh, I the had social oh, assassin. I like that one. Yes, a lot. yes. I no, but I, I I used that at work the other day. Like someone asked me to open a jar, and someone couldn't, and I opened it right away. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, you loosened it up for me. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, that's a, uh, a very memorable moment. There, there's so many um, moments that just stick out and kind of remind you of your own personal experiences when watching this show. But hopefully not too many, because quite often Larry is getting yelled at. I think that's the other thing, too, is I feel like Larry David kind of likes people yelling at him from the behind the scenes stuff that I've read or seen. Larry is most likely to break when he's getting berated by one of the characters, usually by the Susie character. He, it's like he kind of he kind of gets a kick out of it. He'll put himself through the ringer because yeah. he finds it so amusing to see himself get just completely torn to pieces. So yeah, let's get, let's get into it with a little bit of the history and behind the scenes here on the Curb Your Enthusiasm and the, and the pilot history. So the first episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm aired on October 15th, 2000 on HBO to 3.1 million viewers and it was titled the pants tent definitely a, a key uh you know plot in in the first episode the pants tent something that i've also dealt with with certain pairs of pants that seem to bunch up we'll get into that exactly uh so this series was developed actually from a comedy special that aired on october 17th 1999 so about a year prior and that was titled larry david colon curb your enthusiasm so what started off as maybe a one-off special turned into a series and so this special that aired the year prior is definitely a, a sort of prototype for the series like a prototype episode they're trying certain things and you can tell what was um you know brought in for the actual show so because the original series kind of had like a sort of mockumentary format to it it was basically about Larry preparing for an HBO stand-up show and the behind the scenes they they him and Jeff uh the the manager character they acknowledge they're on camera right they address the cameras directly and so it's almost like a faux behind the scenes of a fictional comedy special that he's doing and ultimately backs out of and there are definitely a lot of situations that are familiar to the series that are in line with the sort of things that Larry uh, has to deal with, including getting yelled at by several characters. But uh, basically, you know, this was the the start and, uh, you know, the first thing he does basically just a year and a half after the Seinfeld finale. Yeah, no, I think it's hard. Well, he was he involved in like he wasn't involved really with the Seinfeld finale, but he. Oh, he was. Yeah, like, he, he, oh, he was. It. Him and Jerry co-wrote oh. it. That's the thing. Like, even though Larry David leaves Seinfeld at the end of season seven, he comes back for the finale, and okay. he he co-writes that with Jerry. And what's interesting about that too, you know, there was a lot of anticipation going into that finale, and a lot of pressure on Larry and Jerry to to wrap it up in a satisfying way. And of course, there were a lot of mixed responses to that finale. A lot a lot of people. Uh, didn't like it. Uh, you know, it's still kind of debated today among Seinfeld fans the merit of that finale, and uh, you know the the expectations and and the pressure is something that kind of would stick with Larry David. I think really for the rest of his career. I mean, I think he even said when he, it comes to ending Kirby enthusiasm, he's not sure if he wants to do a sort of tie it all together moment like he did with Seinfeld because of the response to the the prior series. He's kind of already done that 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, right. like one of the, one of the finales of Curb is basically a private investigator going to see all not all but like a good like the memorable characters of how has Larry David been a dick to you and you know he goes he goes back right. to see Michael Michael J Fox it was the Salman Rushdie episode i remember whatever season that was maybe oh the 10, fatwa season yeah fatwa yeah. yeah maybe 10 9 one of those but yeah he's kind of already done that in but in a not like in a seinfeld way per se that was it would that was just like one quick montage right i think also in season 5 there's um that finale he almost dies and he has a sort of life flashing before his eyes moment and you see a lot of moments from the prior seasons as well season so that five i think that yeah yeah so that that could have served also as the series finale and that's kind of funny too with both seinfeld and curb i think larry is always kind of like on the verge of leaving these very successful projects behind like he kind of always wants to have the door open in the event that he wants to just move on to something else quickly and uh, HBO has yeah. even established an open door policy with them, which is just perfect for him. You know, he has to be able to do things, uh, you know, on his own accordance. Yeah, just like the the work life balance that he had with Seinfeld. It's like, OK, you have to, you know, 22 episodes, 22 to 24 episodes. We need them by this. They uh, and you're and you're not only writing them, you're you're show running, you're handling you're the captain of the ship right and right, at yep. least for uh for six seasons six seven seasons i would say like he's doing yeah. that like i think he quit every season and jerry had to go come bring him back yeah he so was always to, on the brink so to do an open door policy uh that hbo it's like hey we love you jerry uh, we love you uh larry you can 10 episodes that's all we need and at least his writing style is so you know, you don't have to write a script, but it has to he is writing. Right. He has his ideas and he he is outlining these stories. And that's kind of how the Yeah, that's how he puts these episodes together. It's the the term is retroscripting, right? So he'll just write the outlines for the stories, for the scenes, and um yeah, he won't write any dialogue. That is something that is all improvised by the actors. And yeah, I think uh, in his words, it's like, oh, why, why should I write down what they would say? Because if you write down the situation, you know the characters, that should just come naturally, which I love. And uh, from what I understand, you know, they do multiple takes, obviously, of every scene. And so the dialogue's going to be a little different each time. But from you know, all the different takes from a particular scene, he'll piece together what worked funniest. And, and there you have it. And it, it comes up pretty seamlessly. And it's very organic, right? Uh, and that's part of... What makes this show feel very different from Seinfeld, which is more structured and has the beats of a sitcom, but obviously done in a very successful way. This show is more off the cuff. It's more fluid. It definitely feels distinct from Seinfeld, which I think is what he wanted. And I think that also goes into the title, Curb Your Enthusiasm, for people who maybe were expecting something very similar. The, the title is kind of a way of saying, like, lower expectations this is not Seinfeld. You might not like this as much. Yeah, no, when he is riffing with Richard Lewis or the late and great Bob Einstein who played Marty Funkhauser, one of my yeah. favorite television characters. When I always think when yeah, when Larry laughs, that's him laughing. That's not acting. Like that is him like legit like laughing uh, like uh, in the moment. And yeah, they do it uh I was reading that they, you know, most television can't afford to do like seven or eight takes, but just because of the location, especially in the earlier seasons, the small staff that they had, like this was a show. It's not that HBO didn't believe in it. It's just how much of a budget did did this show really need in the beginning? Like, you know, yeah. we, like we really go from houses, houses to offices to restaurants. Yeah, it's really it's very grounded. Right, you're not Very asking grounded. for any big set pieces. Yeah, you know, there's there's certain comedic set pieces here and there, but for the most part, you're right. It's it's very much, um, you know, you, you, this show could be done on stage. That's how peeled back it is. And Larry is very even. Yeah, of course. By then, uh, in 2000, he was well established, and he's even he's even more of a behemoth now. Uh, just partly even because of like Bernie Sanders and all that. Like like the fact that he's hosting SNL 
is funny to me. But in 2000, of course, he's the guy who co-created Seinfeld. And but he's ha- he has all these famous friends too. Right. Like they just want to be on like Ted Danson, Mary Steenburgen, uh Bob Einstein, Albert Brooks, Richard Lewis has been his friend. I love the story. They did uh summer camp. They met at summer camp and then of course they went their ways and then they reunited on the comedy scene. But well, that's the thing. You can tell Susie a lot of Esmond people too. You can tell a lot of the people, the um the comedians who play themselves, you can tell that these are all people who were part of that eighties New York comedy scene. Yeah. They were all trying to make it and you know, a lot of them had uh, their very specific styles, and that's all brought in to the show where you get a glimpse at, you know, there's an episode where you see a Richard Lewis special, for example, like that's in the plot of the story. And so, uh, I don't know, you get a little glimpse into that generation of comedians. They uh, get their time to shine. Yeah. They get their time. Like, it's uh, like not many people know that, like, Marty, like, I'm going to call him Marty Feinkauser, but the, Bob Einstein, he created a. He had a character on Late Night called Super Dave Osborne, who was like this funny. Uh, he was like a he was like a parody of Evil Knievel, and he would go on Letterman and like, I guess like Carson, and yeah, no, but he like he was a staple of Late Night, and not of course our generation doesn't really know that, but it's nice to see him tell one of the best jokes to Jerry Seinfeld. Oh my you know god. I, like, yeah, yeah. P.S. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to say it, but yeah, no, uh, we're not going to say it. But it, it, but there's even there's a the the carpool episode is such a gr- like everyone. Yeah, th- that's the thing. You can watch any season and it's great. Oh, any another episode, it, another great comic who uh, appears quite often on the show is Wanda Sykes, who is just yes. so great at picking Larry apart and and tearing him down. He's um, constantly conflicting with her and doing things that just absolutely piss her off and that's always funny to see she brings a lot of great energy to the show and let's uh, not forget the introduction of jb smooth he basically introduced right. jb smooth to the world because now you know i'm seeing J. am you know i'm happy that i you know he's doing uh commercials i'll see him in a, in a spider-man movie but all that really started was when he, when larry took in uh, black family from the black Katrina. family, yeah. The the blacks, the blacks. Yes, that's their that was their name. That's um, their name. That's their name. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh. But yeah. No. I, he and he was such a fan favorite. It's great that he stuck around and has become a series regular as well. He lives in the guest house, basically. Right. He just didn't leave, which is so great. You know, that's all you need, really. Uh. So. Uh. I, one other actor I'll, I'll just call out for um. For this is Jeff Garland, who plays Jeff Green, the manager. And uh, prior to Curve, he had a recurring role on Mad About You. And I bring that up because that is a sitcom where Larry Charles was a writer and producer. Larry Charles being uh, a former Seinfeld writer and would go on to be a recurring director on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So it just comes all full circle. And so I'm curious if, um, you know, his... If that if that connection, you know that two degrees of separation maybe uh, helped Jeff Garland, uh, you know, earn this role on the show. Oh yeah, I, I would say the only uh, person who didn't really have a connection and she had to audition was Cheryl Hines, and I right. love the story. It's like she's the only one who knew how to handle him. Uh, right, right, but like even she has her limits, and you know it's a tough role to play because quite often you know you just have to play the straight man in a way, right? But she definitely has her funny moments. And, uh, you know, it, it's – Larry is such, like, a larger-than-life character that to to play opposite of him is uh, is quite a task that she's up for. She's very good at it, and it definitely shines in this ep- in the pilot. But I one fact I learned about this is they kept her in the dark, or they would keep her in the dark. Like, they she would not know – she would only know her scenes. Like she would not know if if Larry's lying to her or what the lie. She wouldn't know right. the whole episode. And I can even think at, when I found that out, I'm watching this episode and I can see the you. And we'll talk about it when the scene comes. But the moment when like the lie gets uncovered, right? And in her expression and uh, yeah, that, that's really a smart way of doing it. Yeah, because quite often 
you know, Larry is keeping things from Cheryl and obviously she finds things out at very inopportune times. Uh, but yeah, you could always count on her to, to discover the truth eventually. Uh, so yeah, there you have it. The Kirby enthusiasm, little history there. And this is a show that will be coming back for its final season very soon. And wow. as, as sad as that is, I think 12 seasons is more than I had hoped for. I mean, when the show had ended its eighth season in 2011 and many years had gone by, I mean, I, I was thinking like, okay, you know, that show's probably done and I was content with what we had, but thankfully it came back and I've enjoyed the the recent season. So, you know, um, it's, it's like we're already on the plus side of what at least I had expected with the number of episodes. So I, I'm excited uh, and, uh, you know, this, this will be a great way to start that anticipation of that final season. So uh, I think without further ado, Keith, you can now take us to the pilot. Flight 527, runway 8 Kilo, you're cleared for takeoff. All right, so we start with our intro title card, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And uh, the song, the basically the theme song that plays in the opening and the closing is, uh, is a piece called Frolic by an Italian composer named Luciano Michelini. And this song was originally written for a film back in the 70s. Uh, and I guess Larry had heard this in like a commercial or something and just enjoyed the upbeat nature of it and decided to integrate into the show and and now this song is synonymous with the show you hear this song you think of Kirby your enthusiasm yeah it's, that's it's, so it's, i never knew that it's an interesting contrast to the very um you know low energy and and salty nature of, of the larry character and especially in this first season you know it's it's very like dry and to have this very like kind of upbeat song is just kind of a funny contrast but i i, I do think it does a similar thing that the seinfeld music would do which is sort of like wrapping things up and emphasizing the irony of the situation right it, it, there's something about this that kind of feels almost cosmic in a way that you know whatever whatever is coming back to blow up in larry's face is justly deserved and this song is just um putting a punctuation on that well my thoughts on the song is like to our viewers i i want to just I'm curious about a little experiment like, you know, you hear the HBO bunch. What's the opening credits that you hear? No, that's a good question. I'm curious how many because my head goes dun, 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 dun. I'm curious how many. I'm sure Game of Thrones is in there. I'm sure Sopranos is in there. But I do think a a good piece of that pie is Curb. Just because of how iconic, I thought it was just public domain. Because I know he uses a uh, like three little maids from school. Are we? Dun, 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 dun. Oh yeah. A lot of the a lot of that transitional music is very like public domainish. Right, and it's it it feels of the same vein as yeah. uh, as this you know frolic piece. This very sort of like upbeat again. Like it's it's almost kind of. Um, Similar to Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? This very like, yes, sort of like optimistic music to contrast with the very cynical nature of the characters. Uh, it it just works really well. Uh, so in this first scene here, this is the first very moment of this long running show. Is Larry sitting on the couch and playing with this um, pants tent, which is basically a bunching of material around the crotch, and he's he brings over Cheryl to to look at this and they're they're joking about it. And again, I, I've had some pants that have done this and it's obviously um a little suggestive when this happens. Uh, I think it's like a pair of corduroy pants they're doing this. So Yeah. You know, um obviously this is a lot of a lot of episodes, you know, you get you get set up and you can always anticipate how this is gonna get Larry in trouble later. Uh, <laughs> you can see it. You can always right? see like and, and sometimes it's the the great thing about the show is like you know what's gonna pay off, but there's also that one line or that one faux pas that yeah. someone takes offense or like, and you're like, oh wait, that's that's what you got offended by? Oh wow, it's, right, it's, yeah, it sometimes surprise you, yeah, yeah. Sometimes there is something that 
seems totally innocent that gets Larry in trouble. That happens and, in this episode too, I think. Yes, yes, I I can think of what that is. And uh, you know, other times, you know, something like this, like the pants tent, you know, he's gonna get in trouble for this. But I don't think that makes that's not a, a negative thing. You know, um, there's a line that I've heard before where you know tension is not always derived from what you don't know is going to happen. A lot of times it's derived from what you do know is going to happen. And I think that's it. It's like, oh boy, like when, when is, when is someone going to look at those pants and think the worst and we won't have to wait long. So, you know, the, the plot of this though, Larry is, is telling Cheryl that he wants to see a movie. She's not going to go because she does yoga on, on this particular night of the week. So, you know, he, he thinks to call his friend Richard Lewis and he gets him on the phone He's already going to go to the same movie Larry wants to, but she, he's going with uh, his girlfriend. So he can't exactly ask to tag along and be a third wheel. And this is where he's like, it's, it's totally okay. It's totally okay to go with your friend who's on a date to the same – like, we're going to the same place. Right, right, right. I mean, <laughs> I, it's like if it's, if it's a date – with with uh you know a, a fairly young relationship it's not maybe something <laughs> larry might not see a problem but you don't really want to be that third wheel exactly um and then you know right after that call uh they get another call and it's from cheryl's friend nancy and uh cheryl makes a suggestion that uh larry go with her to the movies which he's not very thrilled about we kind of find out later that larry finds this friend kind of annoying but Cheryl has already put him on the spot, so he doesn't really have a choice. Uh, so in the next scene here, Larry's driving to the movie theater, and he's on the phone with his manager, Jeff. And uh, he's just relaying the situation he's in going to the movies. And uh, when they bring up, like, oh, maybe we'll, they'll play golf later that week, Larry makes a comment, yeah, if uh, you know Hitler will let me go. He refers to Cheryl as Hitler. And that is overheard by a couple of other people on the phone. It turns out that Jeff had Larry on speaker and his uh, Jeff's parents overheard that comment and uh, were offended. So Larry gets very upset about this, about being on the speakerphone without knowing. And hey, like that's another social rule, you know, the, the speakerphone. You know, you got to let someone know when they're on speaker when you put them on because obviously anything they say can be overheard. So um you know, another little social convention there being addressed. No, uh, Larry, uh, Larry messed up, but he's right. He like you should say, "Hey, you're on speaker," but he did, <laughs> he did call his wife Hitler in front of Jeff's very Jewish parents. Right, right. Uh, that that is a subject matter that is not funny to them, and so Larry's going to have to atone for that later. Is that a problem for you? Excuse me. Yeah, ex Could that's exactly right. Ex a little bit nicer about it? A little bit nicer? You make this big sigh. I'm just trying to get by. Well, as I'm sitting here and you could enter the other way. Could you just please? move your legs? What are you doing? Are you looking at my breast? You're looking at my breast. I'm not you looking at your looking breast. At my... I'm trying to get to my seat. My... He's looking at my breast. Yeah, yeah, you, you and your special breast. breast. Just excuse me, please. Please just go by without yeah. stepping on my foot. Right. You wear that dress because you want people to look at your shoes, right? Is that it? Prick. So at the movie theater, Larry sees Nancy and you know he has to basically go through an, uh, a row of seats to get to her. But the woman on the aisle seat, you know, he's going to get into a little argument here, right? Like it's like a, a woman who um, kind of rolls her eyes when Larry asks her to move and they wind up just getting to this argument here. It escalates very quickly where, yeah, he, he yells at her for, you know, uh, having an attitude and, yeah, she accuses him of looking at her breasts. You know, it, it really uh, is a scene that that happens very quickly, and yeah, Larry, um, he he makes some some more comments before you know scooting over. You know, he says like, "Oh yeah, you wear that shirt uh, so people look at your shoes or something to that effect." What is the, I'm I'm kind of curious like what the outline for this is like or what the like hey. You are sitting in your seat. You're not moving, and then you accuse this guy of staring at your breasts. Like you are in right. the right here. Like every actor going up against Larry has to think that they're in the right. Right. Even in fact, if it's so ridiculous, they have to have conviction about it. This happens yes. a lot in the first season, especially where people are not going to budge with Larry, even if it is a more ambiguous situation. Like, should this woman have? you know, uh, had such an attitude to a reasonable request, you know, Larry's just trying to get through. 
Uh, but at the same time, you know, Larry could have just let it go and continued on his way. But instead, he calls out this woman for her attitude, and that starts the argument, right? And one of the things, too, I've seen about how Larry depicts this fictional version of himself, he basically sees himself in the show as the version who says things that he wouldn't normally say in real life, right? So in real life, he would probably let that go. But for a TV show, you can have fun. Yeah, what happens if we actually stay in this moment? And where does that go? I still think Larry David is is very much like Larry. Like everyone has a little bit of Larry David in them or they want to have uh, that well, side yeah. of themselves. But Larry David, that on that doesn't exist. But the person who is the closest is Larry David because I've heard stories about like the actual Larry David. Oh, like there's certain things too. My my one of my favorite uh, stories about him is from his stand-up days in the '80s, where sometimes when he would go up to do a set, he would like uh, scan the audience, and if he didn't like what he was seeing, he would just shake his head, go nah, and walk off stage. <laughs> and it's like that's it, right? Like he he would just completely abandon uh, a a stand-up just because he wasn't feeling the audience in that moment, right? That is like such. Um, a unique and brazen thing to do. It's admirable in a way, but it's also, uh, I don't know, just, again, you're just, you're flouting society's conventions. Very antagonistic. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I just Uh, heard a story recently. Uh, An actor was on a podcast and he was like, oh, I just happened to see Larry David out in the wild at a golf course. And and Larry, I think, was just going to do some drives. And it's $11 for a bucket. And of course, Larry's a billionaire, but Larry is still arguing with the cashier. It's like, why can't I just give you ten? Like, why? Why eleven? Like, that's like an yeah, annoying Why am amount. I just getting nine back? That's that's and, uh, that's and he's funny. Like, that's a very like that's a very. He's like, I got to see a very Larry David moment to call out. Like, why price it at eleven? You just price it at ten, so it, the change is easier. I could totally see him arguing the logic of that but at the same time but that's why like, we love him that's why we love him you know at the same time like he's arguing with an employee who didn't set the price and it's like what do you want from me just give me 11 dollars uh man i'm sure that's gonna pop up in, a, in an episode <laughs> right right just like you know the logic behind things like that uh so after that confrontation with that woman uh larry finally makes his way over to nancy and she's on his side for the moment right she's pointing out you know is it so unreasonable? She's sitting at the end of the row. Obviously, people are going to ask to get by her. And, uh, you know, he she is starting to comfort him by, like, rubbing his arm, which I found to be an interesting move. Uh, and she looks down for a second and sees the pants tent. And you can tell from the look on her expression that she is making that mistake and thinking that Larry is uh, getting aroused. And it becomes a very awkward moment quickly. And, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and just to uh, make things a little more uncomfortable for Larry, right before the lights come down for the film, uh, he sees Richard Lewis arriving. They wave. But then he sits down next to the woman that Larry just got into an argument with. Turns out that is his girlfriend. So uh, obviously this is going to be a problem now Larry has to deal with moving forward. That's like that. That is like salt in the wound. That not, not only do you think your wife's friend, like that uncomfortable moment, but like you just got into a huge argument with your best friend's new girlfriend. At the, yeah, basically I mean, within the span of a minute. And, and you think about all the all the things that Larry has just done in the like leading up to this moment from the time he left this house. He's offended his manager's parents. He's gotten into a huge argument with his best friend's girlfriend, and now he's offended his wife's friend, who thinks that uh, he got aroused by her uh, rubbing his arm. So, you know, it didn't take long for multiple people to get very angry with Larry. Uh, and, yeah, like I said, things escalate very quickly at times on this show. But, again, it's, if, I, if I was – Seinfeld... If Seinfeld's a show about nothing, this show is a show about a guy who offends everybody. <laughs> that, that's basically it. I actually had to pause when I was rewatching this. I'm like, not much time has gone by, but already, like, everyone is mad at Larry. Didn't take too long. Uh, so after the movie, uh, Larry and, and uh, Nancy walk out to see Richard, and uh, he introduces them to his girlfriend, Sophia. And so it's, it, there's a lot of tension there, and Richard has no idea 
and he's suggesting, hey, let's go get coffee. And, you know, Larry has to make all these excuses. Like, I'll be up all night. Uh, I can't do it. They suggest decaf. Nah, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, he has to, like, really uh, keep coming up with excuses to get out of this. And then uh, as they are about to part ways, you know, Richard's like, hey, don't forget, we have, uh, we're getting dinner. Like, you know, the two of us, you and Cheryl, Saturday night. So, uh, you know, Larry's going to try to get out of that situation as well. So, um, so that later that night in the next scene here, Larry's getting home, Cheryl's in bed, and Larry is uh, telling her about this misunderstanding with Nancy. And, you know, Cheryl, this is like classic Cheryl. She's very skeptical about Larry's version of events, right? Like he's telling Cheryl that uh, you know, his pants bunched up like he had shown her before. And Nancy mistook that for an erection. And Cheryl's like, wait, are you sure? Really? I mean, because, you know, it should be obvious that that's like just a bunching of material. There's nothing there. And Larry has to convince her. And this happens a lot on the show, right? Like Larry has to really try to convince Cheryl about what happened, at least from his perspective. And maybe like she at this point has heard it all and really, um, you know, is, is going to take everything he says with a grain of salt. I'm trying to think, you know, in the beginning of when we started talking about this, I was going to say, like, Larry should have said something at the movie theater. And now I'm thinking, like, how do you even explain? It's like, no, 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 you, I, I'm, I don't have an erection. It's a, like it's you're like it's a complicated situation. It but might be the right awkward. thing by telling her, by telling right. Cheryl. Right. He tells her right away. I mean, in the moment when Nancy sees the pants tent and mistakes it, it might be more awkward to address it, right? Like, what yeah. is, is it more awkward to just like sit in that moment and maybe just watch the movie and forget about it? Did you try to bring it up? You know, who knows? And, and Larry does explain to Cheryl, like, you know, I would have said something, but the movie was just starting. So he's basically just going to recount like the series of events that happened, you know, about the, uh, also the argument with Sophia. Larry's is, he wants to now cancel the dinner with Richard and Sophia. Uh, and yeah, you know, Cheryl is uh, disappointed to hear that. But uh, one last thing that Cheryl has for Larry, apparently Jeff left a phone message where he said he's sorry, but he didn't say about what. And Larry has to feign ignorance on this. You know, Larry's like, oh, I don't know what he could be apologizing about. I I I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I really have no idea. And, uh, you know, uh, now he's in a sticky, a even stickier situation than before, as he'll explain why in the next scene, right? Because as we'll find out, like he, he can't say, oh, yeah, Jeff is sorry that he had the speaker. Uh, he, had, he had me on speakerphone when I was calling you Hitler. <laughs> he can't he can't say that. So, yeah, now he's going to have to come up with an excuse. So, yeah, so that's what's going on in the next scene here. Uh, we're in uh, Jeff's office and Larry is, uh, again, telling Jeff, you know, you shouldn't have left that apology message at my house. Cheryl's now suspicious of what you were talking about, you know. So they come up with this idea because Jeff is writing apology letters to Kathy Griffin. And Larry comes up with this idea, a cover basically, for the apology, which is um, let's just say that Kathy Griffin called Jeff because she wanted Larry to write a pilot for her. Jeff passed without telling Larry. And they, they agree that that is what they'll say the apology message was about. And, right, that's a pretty good lie. Um, and, you know, but I, I do have to say, for a first episode, this is, like, already a very layered and kind of a complicated setup here. And and, and then that's not a criticism. It does feel very organic. Uh, no, that's but, the great – that's the great thing. It's kind of like all four Seinfeld problems – put onto one person because that's there a is good point multiple there is, like okay so you have uh you have the the hitler comment you have the pants tent you have richard lewis and you have the lie now you're having a lie to cheryl right and actually if you think about it it's um, a balancing act right right I, I can imagine if this was seinfeld i feel like elaine would get into an argument with someone over not letting her pass in the movie theater. I feel like that is something that she would call out on someone and have a problem with. Uh, George would come up with the lie. That's like very signature George. It was the pants tent. It's uh, the pants tent. I was in the pool. You know, like you can kind of imagine, uh, you're right. It's And what 
I like about this too, if you want to draw more connections to Seinfeld, is uh, yeah, Larry's process is so simple and yet so effective. You know, he basically uh, keeps around a notebook and writes down every funny idea he has, which he basically gets from his day-to-day experiences. And then as he's coming up with ideas for stories, he sees like, you know, which of the ideas have the best potential for dovetailing or at least like going together in one episode. And so like with Seinfeld, he'd assign each of those ideas to a particular character. And then in Curb, he just assigns it all to himself, obviously. But um, again, it's, it seems like so clear and so like uh, such a simple way of, of comedic storytelling and getting ideas, but it, it works in a way that you still shake your head and be like, man, how many ideas can this guy possibly have? I won't be the first person to say it, and I know I won't be the last, but I like he is Larry's definitely a genius, at least in a comedic storytelling sense. Uh, right. He just knows he, what's funny from the format of a television comedy, right? Because, um, or even like in film too, but yeah, I think but like just G- to connect the dots of a story, yeah. like and and the way they go about it, like a show, he makes it look easy. Like okay, oh, oh, you, yeah. you you have to come to set. You get to improv your lines, uh, right? The, and that and, you know, and with the wrong set of actors, that could yeah. actually come off as very messy, right? Like I can imagine, you know, it's kind of an experimental way of doing it, and without the right people with the right chemistry, it can come off as just very disconnected, disjointed, uh, kind of awkward for the wrong reasons. But instead, you know, everyone does have good chemistry, and they all seem to be very on board with the vision of the show. And, well, I'm uh, sure that outline, that retroscript, isn't just like a sentence or two. I'm sure it's not like a whole, like. I'm sure it's basically like a college paper. Oh like, yeah, you know, I, five I, five pages of very detailed, like you know, uh, it starts this way. It has to start this way and end this way. Right. I mean, there have to be a lot of details because a lot of times there are scenes where, yeah, this happens throughout the whole series where you know you just call out one particular thing. You know, you have to remember all the plot points you want to establish in the earlier scenes of the episode and then which ones you have to pay off in the later scenes so yeah it's it seems like a very um yeah like it it seems like a type of script that might not have a lot going on but it probably does have a lot because it's all focused on plot and a plot that can actually get very layered very quickly uh so yeah after coming up with that excuse uh, Jeff has um, you know, news for Larry that <laughs> his uh, his parents, Jeff's parents, are very upset with Larry for his Hitler comment, and his dad is even telling Jeff, you know, you should drop Larry as a client. You know, they're very up in arms about him, and Jeff explains why. Basically, uh, Jeff's parents had a cousin in in Nazi Germany who was gay, and so he was like doubly persecuted, and so. You know, they're very sensitive to to um, that whole era of the, you know the Holocaust and, and Nazis. So you know they they don't take Hitler jokes lightly at all. And so you know, Larry even mentions like, "Wow, Jewish and gay. That must have been really, really tough." And so he he resolves. I just, oh, I just remembered another great episode yeah. where you had a survivor from the Holocaust. And Colby Donaldson from Survivor right, yelling right. at each other, going, I'm a survivor. No, you're not. I'm a survivor. Right, right. Like, like Larry... which, which one is more of a – they even argue, like, what's tougher, the show Survivor or the Holocaust? Which, like, obviously the Holocaust, but, you know, the, there's the absurdity of even, like, entertaining such an argument. It's, like, so outrageous. Um and it's only can, Larry could do it because he's grown up in that culture. Like he is like right. that temple. Like he could handle the, it. The, he can he can handle that material in a way that's like offensive to the characters within the show, but not offensive to people watching. Like it's still funny from an outsider's point of view. And like I could even imagine him coming up with that idea. Like the show Survivor gets really huge, right in in two thousand two thousand one, and he's thinking to himself like Survivor. That was always a term for a Holocaust survivor. And now it's a term for a reality show survivor. So it would only make sense to maybe like see the comedic potential of the, the clashing of those two things. And that can only happen once to keep, uh, keep with our theme of HBO. That can only, at least at this point in time happen in H on HBO, like 2002, right. 2003. I mean, that's a very sensitive subject matter. And, uh, and with, yeah, with being on HBO, 
he's able to tackle a lot of very sensitive subjects. I mean, there's a lot of times he's dealing with, uh, with you know, with race, with abuse, with like, you know, what seem like very serious topics, but he handles it all very comedically. But, um, you know, it does get cringy a lot. Uh, but Larry is going to have to apologize for that comment. He agrees. And uh, the last little tidbit here in the scene is Larry mentioning to uh, to Jeff the restaurant that they had planned to go to with Richard, which is uh, Mama's Boy. And that's, again, a little plot detail. So uh, in the next scene, we're at Larry's office. You see his assistant. She has some messages for him. And then we see Larry on the phone with Cheryl, and he's telling her the lie about Kathy Griffin's supposed pilot that she wanted him to, to write. And she uh, buys it. Yeah, she does, right? It does seem like a, a reasonable thing that could have happened. And uh, right as this conversation is wrapping up, Richard Lewis arrives, and he's clearly very upset with Larry. And as soon as uh, he hangs up the phone, Richard is uh, giving Larry a very hard time about the the problem he's caused with Sophia. You know, he's telling Larry, you know, I, I, I'm in love with this woman. She's amazing. She's intelligent. She might love me. And here you come along. And he's kind of recounting Sophia's side of the story, right? Like, basically about, you know, oh, Larry, you were yelling at her to get out of the way. You were staring at her breasts. And, you know, Larry's just, um, you know, he, he's denying it, but he's, like, kind of also very aloof about it. Right? He doesn't take this seriously at all. And I think that's kind of what getting Richard most upset is. He, Larry is Well, Richard's like, I love this girl. And you're just, like, and Larry probably sees her as just another girlfriend. Right, right. Like Richard. a ditz who maybe just is, like, another aspiring actress, right? He kind of mocks Richard about how they probably are, you know, reading lines together. And, again, like, Larry's blasé attitude is really getting under Richard's skin, you know? Um, and, you know, it's it's very amusing to me to watch these two riff because, again, it's just a scene. They, they're not really upset with each other in real life, but they're still having a conversation that seems like there's certain cadences they would have in a real conversation, like certain expressions or, you know, like at one point Richard says, you know, we have enough good stuff in the bank to get over this, right? It just seems like, right? Like they just have really great phrases and, and expressions to bring to the conversation. That is why improvisation works so well with comedians. You know, they just know so many funny ways of putting things. I always say they're like, whenever they're in a scene together, they're always, you can always sense that they're trying to make the other laugh. And yeah. Larry is always the first one to crack. And I got to give it to Richard Lewis. Once again, millennials outside of, um, he was the sheriff of Nottingham in uh, Men in Tights. Yeah, the like, one with the know, mole that kept moving around, right? He's part of that scene of comedians that do like perform in front of a brick wall. So like we didn't yes. really know him except until like Curb, and he's laying himself like you know it, it, he's kind of using his uh, demons for humor. He's like you know this is triggering for me. I'm an oh, alcoholic. Right. And, and that's and true. Larry's yeah. like, finish the litany. Is that the litany? <laughs> uh, yeah. Larry, Larry makes very light when someone kind of tries to get a little dramatic with him and, you know, go through a spiel. Uh, yeah. Larry's like, all right, are you done? Are you done? Uh, and uh, no, I do, it, it, I do. It, it's a great thing between friends that they could do yeah. this. Oh yeah. They, they, they go way, way back. And I also get a kick out of Richard Lewis's, um, I don't know his whole physicality and way about him. And this show was definitely the introduction for me to this comedian and his style, just this sort of way where he's like, he's hunched over a bit. He kind of puts his hands up when he's talking. He kind of has this, um, this, this sort of like, uh, rushed way of talking. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always in black. Always in black with the, um, with the sunglasses. I mean, it always seems like he is like, in a hurry, <laughs> in a, in a yeah. funny way, right? He's like, <laughs> he comes on stage, like, I got to do this bit because uh, I got a flight in 20 minutes. <laughs> Something to oh, that yeah. effect. He has that New York Jewish cadence. Yes. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's so. It's like, charming, you know? It, yes. And, uh, but like, it, it really, like, it, also the second HBO pilot to mention Gary Cooper. <laughs> oh, that's so funny that. Yeah, within the short time span. Yeah, because uh, Richard says, you better call me tomorrow by sundown. <laughs> Larry's like, what, what are you, Gary Carey Cooper? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that makes Richard laugh. I wonder if that was a sincere laugh on Richard's part where he's like, all right, I'm trying to be upset, but that did make me laugh, right? Uh, I, there's 
yeah, the often the line between reality and uh, fiction on the show is quite blurred. Listen, Sally and I, do me a favor. I yeah. love you, all right? Yeah. Not, you know, we have enough good stuff in the bank to get over this. But Saturday night at dinner, can we maybe, maybe try to have an apology for you? First of all, there's no way I can have dinner with you on Saturday night. That's out. Hold on. Am I hearing this? I'm not at dinner. You know, our relationship's at stake dinner. right now. Huh? Our relationship's at stake. Get out of here. You better call me later on. By, by, by sundown. By sundown? What are you, what are you Gary Cooper? By sundown? What's going yeah? That's funny. Yeah. You know, I'm trying not to laugh, but that's yeah. funny. Okay. You better call me by sundown. I'm, by sundown? Is this a posse going to come get me? That's right. So now we get to the next scene here where Larry arrives at Jeff's house. I do have to say, I think this this first episode, we're going to every location there there really is, at least for the first few seasons. You know, everyone's house, everyone's office. It's uh, And everyone's house... Everyone house does change though every season. It does. Yeah, no, it certainly does. You know, you can tell like what era of the show it is by what house, right? I, I think I think the house that Larry and Cheryl are in in this first season is only in this season. I think they move in the beginning of season two. Well, uh, uh, and also uh, you can also tell like even though like you can put on any episode of Curb at any time, this is definitely the first episode because Sammy's a boy. That's right. And actually, I think they mentioned two kids, Jeff and, and Susie. So I wasn't sure I, if they, they were they referring were with to the mommy and me group. Oh, OK. So, you know, Larry arrives at Jeff's house and uh, Jeff brings him over to uh, his parents who are very cold to Larry. You know, they're shooting him daggers and you know, Larry has to come up with this apology. And, you know, it's. Having watched the show so much, you can tell that he's forcibly doing this but it it's like you know sincere enough for for jeff's parents and they, uh, they shake hands and they uh they begrudgingly forgive him but you can tell that larry's still on thin ice with you're him. a mess yeah <laughs> i right. know i know i'm a mess at what point like they they're like really uh still giving a hard time about it right it, it was rotten it was rotten like they they get worked up very quickly and uh yeah these characters at least for like i think the first season or two they will continue to show up and uh, just be mad at Larry for basically anything he does. So as we were alluding to before, you know, Susan comes down, uh, Jeff's wife, and she's calling everyone to come upstairs to, to see Sammy because, I don't know, there's like a cute moment going on with, with Sammy and another kid. And so everyone starts to go up and uh, Jeff and Larry are, are like the last ones. And Larry just leaves. He's like, you know what? I don't have to go up. It's fine. And he just walks out again. Seemingly, He's in the right. Seemingly He's in the innocent, right on this. Right, right. He just stopped by to to apologize. Right. He he didn't say he was hanging around, but again, not as innocent of a move as he'd find out. So, I think he's in the right. Like, that's that's what's so funny. It's like with each episode, you can debate that. What would you have done in that situation? Yeah, you know, was he justified? Wasn't he justified? Right. And in this situation, you know, I I think that um, it's not a big deal. For him to walk out in that moment uh so you know larry comes home and cheryl's calling him to the living room and there's nancy and uh larry is basically he's getting like kind of um blindsided here but yeah you know, cheryl wants to clear the air and resolve things with nancy so they sit down it's very tense and Larry's trying to make light of this cheryl's trying to make light of this nancy's not really having it you know they're trying to explain like listen you know, when you thought you saw that I had an erection, she's like, what do you mean thought I saw? I definitely saw it. And, you know, they're trying to tell her about the pants tent. Uh, Larry, the pants he's wearing in that moment are not a good <laughs> example of that. So, um, yeah, Nancy is very adamant. Yeah, at one point she stands up. She's like, there was something hard on your pants and it was your dick. <laughs> and she just storms off. She gets so angry about that, but she mentions... Oh, yes, yes. She mentions the, uh, uh, the rubbing of the arm, his arm, which Larry had not mentioned yet to Cheryl. So Cheryl then gets upset at Larry, right? At this point, everyone's kind of yelling at each other uh, before Nancy storms out. So it does. And you can see, you can see on Cheryl Hines's face that yeah. she's learning that information at the moment. And she handles it very well. I didn't know about this. Right, right. Now she's upset at Larry. Like, you know, you didn't give me the whole story. And Larry's like, you shouldn't have brought her over in the first place. So. The situation will pretty much end there with all parties upset with each other. Nothing really resolved. And if anything, you know, it's it just that confrontation just made it worse. 
And I, I don't know if we ever see Nancy again, but yeah, you can maybe imagine that she didn't want to see Cheryl or Larry again after that. I know when I get these things and how they happen. Get these things? These erection things? I know the source. I know, I know the source, yeah, too. I can name sources. Sophia Loren was once a source. I know my sources. Sometimes they're mysterious sources, and I don't know where it comes from. Other times I can pinpoint it. And, yeah, this what one, about me? Am I not even involved you, in this source? Yeah, you're a source. Is, She's a not. source. Oh you're God. a source, too. Listen, you got a hard on. No, okay? I didn't. You got a hard look, on. Look at these pins. That's not what it looked like. That was flopping. This was not flopping. There was something hard in there, and it was your fucking dick. So... In the next scene here, this is basically the last scene. Larry and Cheryl, they arrive at the restaurant and they see Susie, Jeff, and Jeff's parents. Uh, and once again, Jeff's parents are not too happy to see Larry. And Jeff has to explain that the parents are mad because Larry did not go up to see Sammy when uh, Susan called them up. So, you know, he's... Uh, can't he's, win. He can't win with them. I mean, it's like one of those things, too, when you don't like somebody... Pretty much anything they do will make you mad, and you'll look for any excuse to get mad at them. I think that's what's happening here. Uh, but they also get some bad news here, Larry and Cheryl. You know, they had a reservation for four. Only two of them showed up, and the host has to explain to them that she can't seat them at a table for four because that would be a waste of a larger table, and a table for two won't be available for another hour. And, you know, I know that some restaurants do... They actually do this where you won't get your table if the whole party doesn't show up. But um, and this is another thing, you know, again, you, my my uh, excuse or my retort to the host would be, listen, it's not like we're taking a table from somebody. We're just sitting at the table we would have anyway. There's just two less people sitting at it. And how much bigger would a table for four be than a table for two? I don't know. But uh, I, again, I know it's something that does happen in real life, but that would be my my answer to that, like, that, I think that, that's we would have we would have been sitting there this anyway. Is the co-creator of Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, that's Cheryl wants Larry to use his clout, and he's yeah. Larry doesn't really want to do that, and that's yeah. I respect that for Larry. And, and the hostess has only seen one episode. She liked it. Like it was she kind of she's and like she, whatever. She kind of is like I don't really know about it. And that's yeah. probably it's funny how that. I wonder if you know. And granted, to a younger generation now. How like if they would know who Larry David is, or just like, well, who's Larry get a table now to, to like a nineteen-year-old hostess. Like I'm the co-creator of Seinfeld. Okay, that's right. Right, like you might have heard of, uh, yeah. If you're very very young and you don't know your TV history, you might not be aware of Larry David, but you might have heard of Curb or of Seinfeld. But um, it's funny too. I think a recurring thing on the show as well is people um, not being impressed. By Larry and and being associated with Seinfeld, I think in the um I watched the 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 special that came out the year prior to the series, and that that there's a moment where Larry calls someone, says, uh, "Yeah, I, I you know this is Larry David, the guy who created Seinfeld," and the person's response is, um, "Oh, never saw it, not a fan." <laughs> <laughs> so like you know, as much as in this world, you know, within the show. Larry has the success of Seinfeld. You know, it doesn't really get him much further than where he already is. Uh, so, you know, after being turned down for the table, Jeff, uh, you know, he invites Cheryl and Larry to, to sit with them, which obviously Larry is not going to want to do that. But Cheryl says she's starving, so they don't have a choice. Uh, so, you know, at the table, it's a little tense. Larry... Larry offends Jeff's parents further by asking when they're going home. You know, what, when are you guys leaving? He's very, um, yeah, it's not, it's not like, oh, how long are you staying? You know, he's actually just very curt. Like, when are you leaving? <laughs> when are you getting out of here? Um, and then there's another awkward moment when the uh, owner of the restaurant comes by and Larry, uh, you know, he makes a comment to the table, like, because the, the restaurant owner is black. So Larry s says something very, like, innocent, like, oh, you know, I'd like to see you know, black entrepreneurs, black business owners, and Jeff's parents are again. They're like, "What do you mean by that?" And Larry, we're way beyond strike three. <laughs> yeah, like, at that point, you're, Larry, you're right? If they don't like him, so they're just like looking for every little thing. They're really going to jump down his throat at every opportunity. So Larry, you know, he's just he's just gonna drop it. He he, he tries to explain himself, but he just realizes, you know, I'm not gonna get anywhere trying to do that. 
And the last thing we see here is uh, Kathy Griffin herself stopping by the table. Uh, what uh, uh, did I miss something? He does uh, Richard and Sophia get a table of two? Oh, that's right. That's right. They do get a table for two, and that does raise the question: like, did it actually not matter, and the host didn't like Larry and Cheryl, or did uh, Richard just make a new reservation? I think you know maybe the implication is that you know the the host was just uh, stricter with the rules with Larry than she was with Richard, which uh, you know that that also was a big thing with uh in seinfeld too there's like a an episode where they go to the movie theater and you know george keeps losing his ticket stub and the guy won't let him in but then for kramer later on the guy's like yeah go ahead (laughs) it doesn't matter you know uh so in this last moment here kathy griffin stops by the table and you know she she's talking to to jeff and you know larry and jeff they try to like reestablish their lie that they told no, Cheryl. You, you already did called us already. You already called us, right? And she's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't called you yet. And Cheryl, again, she her her expression, she's like learning this for the first time. Like, wait a second. You know, uh, recalling what Larry had told her. So Kathy Griffin basically uh, contradicts the lie, says, oh yeah, I haven't called yet. I, I don't know what pilot you're talking about, but uh, yeah, if you want to work together sometime, let me know. And then she walks away. And then, you know, the, the last moment here is Larry just kind of sitting and uh, wallowing. Cheryl in. gives him that look. Yeah, he's going to pay for that. And uh, that's that's how the episode ends. You know, a lot of the episodes here kind of end with Larry stuck in a worse predicament than before. And, you know, that doesn't really resolve necessarily. But you just know he's he's just things have blown up in his face, basically. And uh, that's that's the end. You hear that music come in, frolic. The theme song, and that's the end of the first episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know what, Larry? You should just tell her who you are. Yeah, just who am I? I'm a guy without thing. a table. No, that's who I am. Try the Seinfeld thing and huh? see if she reacts. God, get out of here. I'm not going to no, say, say that. Forget it. Were... I'm not going to no, say that. No, it will help. Ma'am? No, Cheryl, that's Can ridiculous. You for one second. Tell her who you are. No. No. Yeah. He's one of the creators of Seinfeld. So what, right? Okay, okay. big deal. Fine. No table. You happy? No, no. She can find a table for you. I, I wish I could help Have you. Have you ever seen it? She's never even seen I, an episode. What are you talking it. about? I saw, I saw it once. Uh, it was good. Did you? Really? Yeah, Which one? I can't remember. Okay, great. But, um, See? Yeah, well. the show. Good going. So, yeah, in this first episode, how, how would you, how would you uh, rate the improvised dialogue? Did it, did it feel smooth to you as the rest of the series does? Or do you think that, yeah, this feels more like um, a first episode where the chemistry isn't maybe as strong yet? I would say the chemistry, of course, gets stronger, but the chemistry is off to a pretty good start. I agree. You know, I would, you know, if uh, if I didn't know that Cheryl had to audition, like apparently a lot of actresses auditioned, but uh, like, so this is their first real like. Was she in the special? She was Uh, in the special. She and was. so okay, they did, so did kind of know each other. Okay. Yeah, they did. And actually, you know, what's interesting about that too, in the special, they mentioned kids. Larry a couple times has to swear on his kids. And obviously that is dropped for the series. So like another another interesting thing. It's it's almost become like very well established that they do not have kids, and it's just the two of them living together. But uh just another interesting detail that changed from you know the the special to the series. But I think I think, like, this is a strong episode. Like, I do reference the pants tent uh, at times. Of course, when you get one, you go, like, Larry David. (laughs) Oops. But uh, It's a funny name for it, too. I I never really thought of giving it a name before watching this episode. It was just a thing that I dealt with with certain pairs of pants bunching up in that unfortunate spot and uh, me just trying to, like, straighten myself out uh, to have it go away. But the pants tent, like, you know, that's just – I think Larry is is the kind of comedian that just everything has to have a name, right? Like, and that happens a lot in Seinfeld and in Curb. He's just um, he signs like terms to things, and when he brings up those terms on on this show, at least on Curb, other people have to catch up. They're like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" But uh, you can totally see as the show grew in popularity. Like the first season is very. It's not that I don't want to use the word raw, but it's very like. You could see the budget. Like, it's not yeah. throwing a lot of money at this, and nor should they. Yeah, it definitely it, it seems. Need it. The quality, like, you know, it looks like the year it came out, right? It definitely looks yes. like a 2000s show. It does look a little grainy, 
And I think by, I don't know, season four, it looks a little cleaner and a little of a larger scale. I think, you know, the first season is very episodic, but then by the time you get to season three, they're doing more uh, season-long arcs. If I'm not mistaken, season three is the Martin Scorsese movie? there's that, that there's season four that is scorsese there's like that's a minor arc i think the, the big, restaurant the restaurant's the big arc which ends in like a classic uh explosion of vulgarity which is so great it's amazing how little Susie had to do in the pilot because she right. is a force now it's just like it is kind of almost the same with the seinfeld pilot but of course i'll definitely go with like where this show grew and what it became and just how yeah, Susie. It is to comedy. It's just it's yeah. amazing. But like the first, it it it's definitely better than the Seinfeld pilot. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. With that. I think the show knows itself may, way better in its first episode than Seinfeld did. So there you have Kirby Enthusiasm, another great comedy coming out of HBO as it continues to establish itself now in the early two thousands, and it's building up quite a lineup here. Yeah, by this point you have Curb, which I think. People, for the most part, enjoyed. And then, you know, Sex in the City and Sopranos have taken off. And at this point, the network is really picking up some steam here. And so that would only continue from here. And I we're going to be following that history along with the, uh, the next show that would come out. We're going in chronological order here. And that show would be Six Feet Under, a show with drama and comedy, dark humor, but, uh, you know, like I said, we've, we've talked about a couple comedies here, and we're going to also see HBO racking up its uh, dramatic flair as well. So that will be the next pilot that we discuss. So uh, stay tuned for that, and we'll catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at take us to the pilot that's take us to the pilot with the number two attention passengers we've now reached our destination we hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day